Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Today I want to talk to you about worship, and I want to talk to you about praise. I mean, what a wonderful thought. You know, I'm, I'm terrible with remembering the words and things like that, but just with a song telling us that, that, to, that we're and this isn't found in the Psalms, too. You know, we're telling our souls to come on, get stirred up like a lion and praise the Lord because He is so worthy. Our God is great. He is so worthy of, of being shown worth. So often we tie doing that to just, okay, times in a building, Right? I mean, we, we somewhat learned that early on, you know, here's the church and here's the steeple, open the door, and, and there's all the people. And that definitely is when we are gathered together, a time of, of, of worship and, and praise and honor and, and glory. But it doesn't just have to stop right here. It doesn't have to be just, just limited to a place. We can stir our souls for worship anywhere. Now, yes, you know, quite often we, we call this building, I don't know if it's just out of habit, it's out of just, you know, how maybe we've grown up or things like that. You know, we call the building that we meet in the house of God. You know, and the house of God is meeting to worship God. We're meeting with God to worship God, but the house of God is not tied to a building. It's not tied to the building with the steeple. It's when you open up the doors and it's the people. We are the house of God. And wherever we go, so goes the house of God. And, and, and so whether on an individual basis or, or corporately or with a group, or, or whatever. When you meet together as born-again believers in Jesus Christ who have the Holy Spirit within them, you are the house of God and you can worship God anytime, at any place. And Jacob, the patriarch, I think he learned that. I think we, he learned that. And so we're looking in Genesis 35 today. And we're looking at the patriarch Jacob. And God has called Jacob and he tells him to go to Bethel. Which interestingly enough, the Hebrew word Bethel means house of God. Now Jacob had named that place house of God prior to our passage when he was fleeing from his brother Esau. And, and uh, he, he went there and he, named, he had an encounter with God and so he named it the house of God, but now God is calling him back to that place so he can have another encounter with God. But it's going to be different than it was before because all those years before, Jacob didn't really know God. If you read Genesis and, and you read at the beginning of you know, the life of Jacob and, and what he did and, and, and how he lived and how he interacted with God and people, he, he never truly claimed God as his own because you'll see him referencing God as Okay, that's the God of Abraham. That's the God of Isaac. You're the God of my father. Never once at that time did Jacob ever say, 
you're my God. I mean, yeah, he tried, he, as maybe some of us do, he tried to put some, some limits to God, and he said, okay, here, here's the deal. He tried to make a deal with God. If you do this and this and this for me, then you will be my God. That's not the way it works. But, you know, it took Jacob a while to learn that. And so now, you know, after a lot of trials and tribulations and issues, Jacob finally got it. He finally understood who God was. He's finally learned the character of God, and he's learned that he can trust God. God can be trusted with these things, and he's learned the importance of worshiping God for himself. Not riding on the coattails of Abraham and Isaac. Learning to worship God for himself. And how important that is. And how uplifting that is. And so he learned worship is not a matter of place. And it's not a matter of tradition. It's not a matter of liturgy. Worship is a time for hearing from God. It's a time of learning from God. It's a time of growing in God. It's a time of demonstrating our trust in God. It's a time of recognizing God for who he is is and we have lost so much sight of that for what a few decades now it's been going you know churches have been going through the quote unquote worship wars well what's the proper way of worship well in the midst of the worship wars we have completely forgot what worship is to begin with. So we need a little reminder. And what I'm hoping is that today we will leave here with a renewed passion for biblical worship. I want us to come to our own Bethel. Have our own Bethel experience. And decide that, you know what, wherever we go, that's where Bethel is. And we can worship you know, it doesn't just have to be Sunday mornings, Wednesday evenings, whatever. Our souls might be stirred on a Tuesday or something. Roaring like a lion just wanting to come out and praise God for who he is. I, I pray that we would allow that to happen. I, I pray that, that you find out you have permission to worship God on days that don't involve meeting as a church. I want you to have that freedom. Be Bethel, wherever you are. And so I'm going to read verses 1 through 15 of Genesis 35. <coughs> if you'll stand in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. We're told here in Genesis 35, God said to Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away your foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. 
So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, which is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, God of the house of God, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alan Bakuth. Well, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that, that uh, we learn about worship. We learn about the importance of worship. Lord, that we are set free to worship instead of just boxing ourselves in. Lord, that we just allow our souls to cry forth to you for your greatness and glory and honor. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray this. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to consider four aspects of Jacob's experience with God in worship at Bethel that I think are important for our own understanding about worship. I mean, a true, biblical, meaningful worship. And the first aspect I want to consider is the command to worship. There is a command to worship. We are told to worship. In verse 1, Jacob is told by God to go to Bethel, to make an altar, and he's saying, make it a place of worship. Go and make a place of worship. Meet me there. Build an altar. We've seen that with uh, some of the patriarchs. That was, you know, the worship at, at their time. They didn't have a specific place, and so, you know, they would build an altar. Uh, Abraham built an altar. Noah built altars. Just wherever so that they could make sacrifices to God and to worship God. But I think that God chose Bethel for a reason for Jacob, because of the meaning behind it, not just the meaning of the name, I mean the house of God, but the meaning that it had for Jacob, because that was where Jacob truly had his first real encounter with God. And so God probably thought, this is appropriate, now that Jacob finally gets it, now that Jacob finally understands me and finally understands worship, I'm going to take him back to the place where he first met me, so that he remembers, he remembers what I have done for him. And what, where it is, so if you remember the story, Jacob is fleeing Esau because Jacob is a trickster and, you know, first he tricked Esau out of his birthright and then he tricked Isaac to give the blessing that should have gone to Esau to him. And and so he was in fear for his life, so he fled. And, And here at Bethel, he spent the night and he had a dream about a ladder that went up to heaven. He had, a, he had a vision of God. He had a vision of angels going up and down the ladder. He had a vision uh, of heaven. 
But at that time, God didn't, or Jacob didn't take God very seriously. Yeah, he paid him lip service, but he didn't take him ser- seriously. But now, he's encountered God in different ways, in different situations in li- his life, and he has seen God at work in his life. And so now, Jacob has a newfound appreciation for the God that he first encountered at Bethel. He has an appreciation for who God is. He has an appreciation for what God has done. He has an appreciation for the promises that God had passed down to him that went through his grandfather and his father. And so Bethel would be a perfect place to renew worship and give new worship. And so God commands, arise, go, dwell, and make. Get out, arise, get out of your slumber. Go to where I tell you so you can worship. Dwell there. Don't just kind of pass by and worship kind of like a drive-through worship or something. Dwell there and make worship. Make an altar and worship. Maybe we need that stirred up in us as well. Arise and worship. Go and seek out God to worship and dwell there. Don't, don't just let it be kind of this fleeting 10 seconds like okay god you're great okay i'm out of here i'm on to different things and truly make worship before god because god calls us to worship god expects worship god demands worship and why shouldn't he because he's god he is god there is nothing and no one like him so he deserves worship our god is great he is great in character and attributes he is awesome in power and might he is filled with love and mercy he is perfectly holy and righteous who else is there that's like that there is no one he is the only eternal being who created all things who sustains all things so you know what it is perfectly right and righteous that he commands and he demands his creation to worship him he is right and righteous but we have to remember that worship not only is it a sacred duty it is a wonderful privilege what an awesome privilege that the god of the universe calls you to come worship him he isn't trying to keep you far he's trying to draw you near to him to worship and we've forgotten that in so many ways and now so often we have turned worship into this rote action you know that we go through on sundays and for some people, Wednesday nights too. You know, we, we, we go through motions and we don't put a whole lot of thought into it. Now, we're coming before the eternal creator, God, so that we can show him his worth. Because he deserves it. And because he demands it. And rightfully so. He demands it. Worship is treated so lightly in our day. And again, it's not about about the place. Because 
There's people who join us in worship, either live or even on stream, who are not worshiping. And also, you know, I find it kind of ironic, and maybe you have met people like this, the people who say, well, you know what? I don't have to go to church in order to worship God. I don't have to be involved in church in order to worship God. Well, technically, no. You don't. I don't have to join a church in order to worship God. I mean, technically, no, but there's other biblical reasons why you should. But here's the thing what I, that I find so ironic. Those who say, well, I don't have to go to a church or become a member of a church or be part of a church in order to worship God. Well, guess what? They don't worship God anywhere at any time anyway. They don't do it at home. They don't do it anywhere. Oh, I don't need to come to church to worship, but I'm not going to worship God anywhere else either. Well, that's sad because God commands and demands your worship, and he is worthy. And so we better be worshiping God somewhere, in some way, in some form, because he demands it, he commands it, and he is worthy of it. Now the second aspect of worship that I see in this passage is the preparation for worship. The preparation for worship. In verse 2, Jacob prepares himself and his family to worship by telling them to get rid of, now the ESV calls it foreign gods. Now, there might be some translations that call them household gods, and there might even be some translations that just kind of transliterate the Hebrew and call them teraphim. But what these were, were these small sacred idols that they would carry around with them. They were sacred objects, and they were used for various divinations, and they were used for different pagan spiritual rituals and, and, and things like that. Honestly, I would probably equate them to good luck charms. They thought that they were good luck charms. And, and, and they would carry these things around or have them in their homes and carry them around be, because they would worship to them, they would sacrifice to them. And, and, and really why they would do that is they thought that this thing represented some spirit who might do them harm or might do them good. And so they wanted to make sure that the spirit did them good, protected them maybe. And so they would do different things to, to this little piece of wood or metal, or whatever, thinking that that is going to protect them. You know, I saw something similar to that when I, I did mission trips to Japan. Now, in most Japanese homes, they have little area altars, really. I mean, they have little altars, and they have different things there that represent their ancestors and their ancestral gods. And so they would bow before these altars, they would burn incense, they would, I would say, pray, I guess, to these things. So that they would be blessed and they would be protected and they would be prosperous and, and maybe to appease these spirits or something along those lines. But if you forgot to do it at home, when you walk the streets of, of the cities in Japan, every once in a while you're going to run into this big box on this pole and inside there's these images and idols and statues and in case you maybe didn't do all your prayers or whatever at home you would just do it there uh, at, on the street you're on your way to work oh I forgot to do my ritual so you can do it there real quick 
these little idols, thinking that somehow they are going to give you luck. But the Bible has a word for that, for what the Japanese people did and for what the people in, in Jacob's days were doing. It's called idolatry. This was pagan, and it was idolatrous. Now, it sounds strange that people in Jacob's household would have these things. But you have to remember that Abraham was called out of a polytheistic people. Frankly, in the days of Abraham, everyone was a polytheist, and everyone was a pagan, and everyone was an idolater. No one knew the name of Yahweh until God called Abraham out. But you know, some of those pagan habits, they die hard sometimes. And, and so they, 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 there were some idols still in the household, but now Jacob called his family and his servants and all his people to get rid of those things. They did it physically. They buried them, never to be found again. But they had to do it mentally and, and emotionally as well because your idols don't necessarily need a physical representation. Because the idol can sit in your heart just as easily. But Jacob, finally understanding God and knowing God, he, he realized that, that, you know what? You cannot serve two masters. You cannot worship two gods because God will have no rivals. He alone is God. They, Jacob and all his household would not be able to properly to, to fulfill that call, that command, to worship if their hearts were still knit to these good luck charms, these teraphim, these foreign gods, these, these household gods. Because they would take away from God. God, if we're going to worship rightly, God has to have center stage. If there's something in your heart that even takes away a smidgen of honor or glory away from God, that's idolatry. Because God himself declared through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 42, 8, he said, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God is not going to share space with anything or anybody in your heart or anywhere else for that matter. If your heart is so full of something or someone else, there is no room for God, and God will not accept worship that is given to another in his place, or you know, that when someone else is kind of there in his place. So when we worship, we need our hearts and minds to focus on him and get rid of everything else. Everything else that has our affections. I mean, either God is going to have our affections or something else is going to have our affections during the time of worship. For example, it's sermon time now in a Baptist church. What happens during sermon time at a Baptist church? Some people are fighting sleep. Other people, their mind is wandering to different things. Look, I, I am not under any sort of, uh, of dream or imagination or anything that I am, that I am such 
a, a compelling speaker that, ooh, I got, get your attention all the time. But think about this. God should get our attention all the time. And if God is not getting our attention, then what is getting our attention during worship time, that's our idol. During worship time, if, if you're not thinking about God, you're not concentrating about God and his word and things like that, that is an idol. What do you think about now? I mean, right now, you're, you're like looking at like, wait a minute, how'd he know? Because I've been there and done that. But now, you know, I've come to realize, you know, that's taking away my attention on God. It's stealing something from God. Guess what? If it's stealing from God, it's an idol. And so we prepare for worship by getting rid of the idols and concentrating on the one true God. Very quickly, uh, there's a third aspect of worship that I, I think we need to speak about, and that's the reasons for worship. The reasons for worship. In verse 3, Jacob tells his household that they're headed to Bethel to worship Yahweh God, and he gives reasons why. Here's reasons why we are worshiping Yahweh God. In verse 3, he says, He is the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Man, those are some good reasons to worship God, but if that weren't enough, God appears to Jacob in verse 9 and onward, and God reiterates promises that he had given to, to Abraham and Isaac, and now he gives to Jacob that's going to be fulfilled through Jacob. And, and so for, for Jacob, God is, is the one who walks with him, helps with him in distresses, and is the promise keeper. And he's listing out all these reasons for worship because they are the motivations for worship. And they're the points that he brings up in worship. These are reasons why God is worthy because he is this, because he has done this, because he has promised this. And therefore, he is worthy of worship. I mean, really, that's a big part of worship. We are reiterating or we are telling God why we think he's worthy of worship why we think he's great you know in just a few short weeks I guess two weeks or a little over two weeks it's going to be Valentine's Day just a forewarning men it's Valentine's Day in two weeks and so you know we get our loved ones our significant others our children whoever we get them cards and in these cards it lists all the reasons why we love them, because they are an inspiration to us. See, you know, they, they've stuck by us and, and things like that. You know, we're, we're, it, these cards, they list out the reasons why this person is worthy of my love and affection. Well, in a sense, God's character and his actions and his promises, they inspire us to communicate to him the reasons why he is worthy of our love and affection. Now, there's right ways and wrong ways to do that. You either worship him biblically, you worship him for biblical reasons, in biblical ways. But, you know, so often you, when you see worship, it's just, okay, let's see if we can stir up an emotional high. I'm so thankful that we don't do that here. Brian and the praise team doesn't do that. The youth, they don't do that. 
I mean, you have so many of these songs where you're not sure if they're singing to God or if they're singing to someone's boyfriend or girlfriend. That's not worship. We don't do that here. We worship God for who he is in a right way because we don't have to do all that stuff. We don't have to try and generate something that isn't there. We don't have to try and hype people up. All right, let's get hyped up for worship. Woo! We don't have to do that because God is worthy. We don't have to get hyped up. I mean, we should just willingly just give him everything like that. He has given us reasons to worship him. I mean, one reason to worship him is he's given us breath. Everyone here breathing? Anyone here not breathing? All right, you better check on it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, We're breathing. My goodness, he's given us life. He's given us relationships. He's given us fellowship. And most importantly, he's given us Jesus. He, he demonstrated ultimate, his ultimate love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you can't think of any other reason to worship God, he sacrificed his son for you to give you eternal life. I mean, my goodness, what more do we need? He gives us life in Jesus Christ. And eternal life isn't just kind of length of life, it's quality of life. It's living with him now. It's, you know, and he saved us so that we can live in eternity, but do it right now. We can live in light of eternity because of Jesus Christ. And if you haven't trusted in Christ yet, I mean, that's the problem. You can't worship God without Christ. Because then you don't know God. Your, 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 your worship of God is going to be fall, flat and it's going to be false because you don't have Jesus and so you've got to fix that first. But I, I'm thinking that there is no one here who has to really dive so deep into their brain. Well, let me see if I can think of a reason to worship God. Let me think. I've really got to think hard about this. And yeah, I don't think if you're true to yourself, I mean, and if you're truthful, you really have to look far for reasons to worship God because he is so great and he has blessed you tremendously, just as he's blessed me tremendously. And so he is worthy of worship. Let me close very quickly. The fourth aspect is the revelation that's within worship. The revelation that's within worship. It says in verse seven that God revealed himself to Jacob in his first trip to Bethel, and then in verse 9, it says that God appeared to Jacob in this current trip uh, to Bethel. And so, you know, we often think of worship being some sort of one-way street where there's no relationship, where there's no communication, interaction going on. But as much as worship is praising God, and it should be, and as much as it is about committing ourselves to God, which it should be, Worship is also a time when God reveals himself to us. Because if we're worshiping rightly, I mean, God isn't just sitting back, kind of looking at us like some form of entertainment or something. You know, worship isn't God just sitting there thinking, all right, I'm going to enjoy this circus or, or whatever. God is invested in worship as much as we are invested in worship because he desires for us to know him better. Because through more knowledge of him, 
we will become more like Christ and, and, and we'll live by faith in a manner that's pleasing to Him. Because worship is not coming before some angry spirit trying to appease Him. That's what the Japanese do. And that's what like the Greeks did and that's what the Romans did in Jesus' day. But that is not what worshiping the living God is about. Because our God is the living God. And so worship is really two-way. God reveals himself through worship. And he's pleased to reveal himself. It's not like God wants to hide himself from us. He wants us to know him. He wants to reveal himself to us. That's why he gave us the Bible. And then in worship, he uses the word to make it come alive. He puts the word into action in our lives. God delights in being with us. God delights in, in relating with us in worship. God delights in the praises of his people. And we praise him more the more we get to know him. And the more we get to know him is by him revealing himself to us. He delights in making himself known. What happens so often, though, the problem is that so often we just, we don't put ourselves in a position to hear from him or to notice him or, you know, we, we just, we aren't looking for God. I mean, when you worship, do you look for God? Do you actually, when you, in your personal worship or here, when you come here, do you actually think that you might encounter God in some way, shape, or form? I know, what, what a concept, encountering God at worship in a church. But that's what, it, that's what it's about. But sometimes we are so tightly wound up in our own little worlds that we don't, we don't notice God. We don't notice him at work around us. You know, there, there's kind of a running joke in, in our family that there's a few of us in the family that are oblivious to what's right in front of us. We may be looking for something or whatever, or some, there's something new, and we, we don't notice it. I have to admit, it might be more of the males in the family where that's the problem. We, we don't notice things or we can't find things. You know, I mean, a typical day is me or the other male in the household who's helping in children's church right now. We, we call out to Trish or something, hey, I can't find this or that. And she's like, you mean this or that thing that's like literally right in front of your face? Where'd that come from? You just put that there, didn't you? We're oblivious to what goes on in front of us, and so often we Christians, I mean, God is present in, in worship, and, and we're oblivious to it. God revealing himself in worship, I mean, the, the opportunities are boundless. God is literally right in front of our face, but so often we're oblivious. And so we go through the motions of worship without really meaning what we sing, not really listening to the word because we're oblivious 
that God is using that time to interact with us and to meet with us. No, God is not going to make a physical manifestation, more than likely. He could if he wanted to, I guess. But, and he's not going to give you a vision, more than likely. Again, I guess he could if he, if he wanted to. But he inhabits the praises of his people. He will reveal himself to us in worship if we're looking and we're paying attention and we're focused and we're concentrated on what we're doing. If, if, if our hearts are not in it, I mean, we're going to be missing so much. And so there's no wonder that so many people think that, oh, worship is boring, church is boring. You know why? Because they're doing it wrong. They're doing it wrong. You're not focused. You're not looking for God. One author wrote this. He said, true worship is God-centered worship. People tend to get caught up in where they should worship, what music they should sing in worship, and how their worship looks to other people. Focusing on these things misses the point. Jesus tells us that true worshipers will worship God in spirit and truth. This means we worship from the heart and the way God has designed. Worship can include praying, reading God's word with an open heart, singing, playing an instrument, participating in communion, and serving others. It is not limited to one act, but is done properly when the heart and the attitude of the person are in the right place. It's also important to know that worship is reserved only for God. The truth is, we all worship something, and this is why one of the Ten Commandments tells us to worship God alone because it is essential in our relationship with the Lord. You know, worship should not be something we're forced to do. Worship shouldn't be something that we kind of are coerced to do or is a chore. It's a joy. It's a privilege. Yes, it's commanded and it's a demanded and it's rightfully so because of who God is. But I'll tell you what, right worship will do more for your relationship with God than you could ever imagine. And so if your worship is stagnant, let me tell you right now, the problem is not with God. It's never with God. But the problem isn't with the church either. And so it's time to do some soul searching. Maybe there are idols in the way of your worship of God. Maybe in ungratefulness, you've forgotten everything that God has done for you. You're more concentrated on what he hasn't done for you than you are for what he has done for you. We'll swap that around. Get that straight. Maybe you, you've complained that God seems so distant, but where is your heart? Where is the heart of worship been? You know, we, we, we think that, that worship is something that we do when we feel like it, when we're in the mood. Sometimes we dare think, well, I'll worship when I think God deserves it. Now, normally, no one would ever say that out loud, but some people's attitudes are just like that. So maybe our attitude toward worship has been junky. So, Christian, why don't you come to the altar and set up a Bethel and, and worship him? And, and settle in your heart that, you know what, I am going to worship God because he demands it and he is worthy of it so determined to worship him in spirit and truth but you can't worship god if you don't know god and you can't know god if you're not in jesus christ jesus died on the cross and rose again to give you eternal life he is the only way to god 
He is the way, truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And so if you've never trusted in Christ, today is the day, and I'll be out front. We're going to sing our final song, and, and I'll be up front here if you want to know Jesus. I want to share with you the gospel. Jesus died for you, and he rose again, and you can have life, and you can be free, free forever. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.